Great to be with you today. Thanks for being here at Westwinds. Thanks for joining us, everybody, online. Today, uh, I've got 13 remaining Sunday sermons to share with you. Um, and so today, I thought we'd do something a little different. Since, I, since my time is winding down, I want to make sure I use it judiciously. And today, I want to help you understand something about this wonderful and very peculiar book that we have called the Bible. You ready for it? Uh, there's some bad stuff in there. That's, that's the big mind-blowing revelation I want you to get, is uh, there's some weird, bad stuff in the Bible. And the question I want you to ask today is, what do you do when you come across something in the Bible that's bad, that's offensive, immoral? Like, what happens when you're reading and you read something that God wants his people to do, and you're like, oh, that, yeah, hard no, hard pass, unsubscribe, unlike Negatory good buddy. Delta, the pattern is full. I am not going to do this. What do, what do you do when you're holier than God? You've probably come across a verse or two in there about uh, violence, particularly religious motivated violence. You might have come across a passage or two in there about uh, homosexuality, divorce, remarriage, people of other religions. And what do you do with all that stuff? Now, normally, there's one of three reactions that people have. Some people read those passages, and they just ignore them. They go, I don't know what that means, but it doesn't mean anything for me right now, so who cares? Now, be honest, that's likely most of the people in this room. Some people come across those troubling bits of the Bible, and they become incensed, absolutely enraged, triggered. And that's the moment where they decide, that's it, I'm done. I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm not going to church anymore. This is all garbage. I'm out. Some people, and maybe this is the most dangerous group, read that weird stuff and then immediately apply it, which leads to all kinds of hateful and hurtful policies and behaviors among Christians and churches. So today I'm going to read to you a verse from Leviticus. And it's a bad one. It's probably not the bad one that you're thinking about, but the way we treat it today is a good case study for you of how to treat all the bad, weird, crazy nonsense in there, because there's lots. And if you haven't found any yet, then I can tell you've just been reading Ephesians over and over and over again, listening to, you know, Christian television and radio and feeling pretty good about yourself, because there's... there's there's stuff, man, and we got to wrestle with it. we got to learn. And here's what I want you to think about, man. Don't judge the book until you learn the story. See, learning is critical for Christians. Jesus called us disciples, and a disciple is somebody who learns. It's from the Greek word methetes. It means learner. And, and for disciples of Jesus, school is always in session. You are always learning and learning and learning. You ought to be pouring over the scriptures, puzzling out all these weird things to try and figure out what it means for you and me today. Because I got news for you, man. None of us have it all figured out. I've been a Christian a long time. I've been a pastor a long time. I probably know more about all the weirdness that's prevalent in churches and in Christianity than the rest of you guys put together. And I'm still faithfully following Jesus, and I'm still committed to the local church. Because here's the thing. The, the, the person to whom I have given my allegiance is not you. I'm not a Christian because of the Bible. 
I'm a follower of Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, Dave, I got this great book. I think you're going to like it. A bit confusing in bits. But if you keep after it, it'll help you understand me more fully. I'm, I'm not a Christian because of Christianity. Christianity has a terrible history. I'm not sure if you've read up on any of it, but uh, we didn't always come through some eras with flying colors. Spanish Inquisition, Salem witch trials, burning people at the stake, burning down other churches that have largely the same beliefs as us because we didn't like the way they did communion. Did you hear that? Yeah, you did. Communion? We had fights over communion. Historically, the Christian church has been the least Christian thing on the planet. I'm not a Christian because of the church. I'm a follower of Jesus. And Jesus said, have you met my bride? And you're like, oh, God, yeah, gee, yeah, she's beautiful, Lord. I love her. Ah, put that veil back down. And a lot of people will deconvert because of stuff they read in the Bible. You got it backwards, bro. The Bible didn't die on the cross for your sins. A lot of people will deconvert because of Christianity. Yeah, he's got an ugly bride. So do you. <laughs> Still your friend. A lot of people will deconvert because of the hypocrisy of other Christians. But, but you forget, man. You don't have to be perfect to be a follower of Jesus because it's not the healthy that need the doctor but the sick. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And there's all this weird stuff that we have out there thinking that everybody's got to be just perfect in order for them to be really Christian. That's totally backasswards. Did I say that? The, I think I said that the right way. It's crap. That's what I meant to say. Here's a good example, okay? Somebody said to me, um, it is impossible for you to be racist and a Christian. And at first blush, I go, well, yeah, that's a, that's a great statement. Racism is very, very bad. Bigotry, prejudice, those things are really bad. Um, if you're racist, what power on earth can help you overcome your prejudice? Only the sanctifying work of God's Holy Spirit. So if you've got to stop being racist before you can become a Christian, you're screwed. You're screwed. Well, what if you're greedy? You can't be greedy and be a Christian. I got news for you. I know lots of greedy Christians. It's better to say you cannot be a conscience-clear racist and be a Christian or a conscience-clear Christian and be a racist. That, that's a very... But you know what? You, you can't be a conscience-clear Christian and be anything. Like if you think, I finally got it figured out and now I'm, I'm just, just saved enough that I don't... You're dumb. The ground is level at the cross. There's no space for racism. But the miracle of God's grace means that even racists get to come to the foot of the cross and repent, just like even self-righteous preachers get to come to the foot of the cross and repent. You know how many times in my tenure as a pastor, I've anointed people that I would never want to have dinner with with oil? or offered grace to people that make me sick to my stomach? If your focus is on Christians and what hypocrites they are, buy a mirror. 
Because you got the order backwards, man. We give our lives to Jesus. And Jesus says, study the scripture. You'll deepen your understanding of me. Jesus says, look at church history. And yeah, you'll have to look at a lot of really ugly stuff. But you'll look at the birth of medicine, education, public health care, justice, societal reform. You'll find a lot of good, too, once you take the plank out of your own eye. And if you're looking at the church going, all these people, they're such lousy Christians, you know, Jesus followers, they don't look anything like them. You're right. Look again, though. Some of those very same people that you have labeled as bad, as hypocrites, actually, if you look deep enough, they might be worthy of God's grace, too. See, you and I, we... We got some learning to do. We got to learn to slow down, not jump to such quick, quick conclusions about everybody and everything. Because it's too cheap and too easy to point out this flaw or that flaw and imagine that that's a sufficient flaw for them no longer to be people, for them no longer to matter and for you to opt out because you are so spectacularly and intellectually superior to the rest of us. Come on, bro. Well, we got some growing up to do. So today I want to look in Leviticus 21 at this weird little bit of the Bible. It's a real short verse. It says, if a priest has a daughter. Now immediately for me, I'm like, oh, maybe this applies to me. I'm not quite a priest. You know, I'm better. And I got a daughter. She's better than all their daughters. So all right. If a priest has a daughter who's a prostitute, well, record scratch. That came off the rails pretty quick. She should be burned at the stake. That's the verse. Leviticus 21, verse 9. The daughter of a priest who prostitutes herself must be burned at the stake. Now, like you, probably I read that verse and I go, I don't know what the crap this is talking about. Who cares? Keep going. Doesn't have anything to do with me. But remember, like Paul told Timothy, you know, all, all Scripture is useful for, for you, for me. Well, this, this one seems weird and, and bad. It's bad. If you're out there going, well, you know, I, I guess given the context, that must have been justified. No, you're wrong. Killing people is wrong, full stop. Murder is wrong, full stop. Killing your daughter is an especially abhorrent thing, full stop. There's no excuse ever. That is immoral. That is absolutely evil, full stop, wrong, full stop. Dave, how can you say that? It's in the Bible. You know why I can say that? Because of the other stuff that's in the Bible. Exodus chapter 20, thou shalt not Jesus said, if you have anger in your heart towards somebody else, it's as bad as though you committed murder. So how can the God who says, don't kill, don't even hate somebody because that's as bad as killing, now turn around and say, kill your kid? We got a problem. A problem we cannot ignore. 
Well, the second reaction, remember, is that some people read that and they get absolutely triggered by it, incensed. How could God do this? God is so immoral. This is why we should abandon religion entirely. Religion is terrible. Well, it's religion who taught me to judge religion. It's the teachings of Exodus and Deuteronomy that informed Jesus about the sanctity of life, about the worth of the created order, about the value of every human being. It's Jesus himself who modeled self-sacrifice rather than violent political revolution. So it's precisely because of my faith in Jesus and my commitment to the Scripture that when I come across something weird in the Scripture, I go, time out, that doesn't jive. So you can't just get mad and go home. What's logically inconsistent and unhelpful? Remember I told you some people ignore it. Some people get incensed by it. Remember what the third group of people do? That's the really dangerous group right now. That's the group that want to apply it. Oh, crap. Yeah. Nuh-uh. No thanks. You've, you've met people like that, right? Because they found a verse and let's be clear, there's, a, there's one that says this one. It's not like there's 50 verses. No, there's a verse. And because they find a verse that says those people are bad, we get to kill them, they run with it. You ever met anybody who takes it one verse? One throwaway little line? Builds a whole religion out of it? Builds a whole church out of it? Decides, because of the verse, I get to hate you. Because of the verse, you're going to hell. Because I got this verse, you're bad. You're not even a person anymore. You don't have any rights because I got this verse. Yeah? Huh. My hero, my boy, my guy, he says, uh, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Yeah, but the verse, did I stutter? No, but there, there's this verse. Read the words coming out of my mouth. See, we start with Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the alpha and the omega. And then when we come to weird verses, we slow down. Slow down. Slow down. When we come to weird Christians, we slow down. When we come to weird moments in culture, we slow down. I'm not really good at slowing down. I'm really good at speeding up and going fast. As every child in every school zone in all of Jackson, Michigan knows. But every now and then, you got to slow down. Because if what you're reading is leading you to any other conclusion than love, you are misreading it. So when you read this verse, oh, man, you, you, got some, you got some work to do, right? Let's ask ourselves, what, what do we know about this? Well, we know uh, back then, um, priests, leaders of any kind, really, but especially priests, they were held to a higher standard of holiness than everybody else. That makes sense. Our leaders should be held to high account. Um, uh, but back then, we know that, um, that fire was a purifying agent. Right? You burn something, it's gone. There's no bones for you to bury, there's ash. You can be swept up, carried away. It was a, a way of purifying something, but also a way of eradicating bad memories. So like if you had um, uh, an idol in your house to a false or foreign god, you burn that idol, and then there was no chance you could, you could bring it back in the house. It was gone, gone forever, gone for good. 
We also know that, that it wasn't just the priest or the leader that were held to high account, but their whole families. So now you know, okay, the standards are higher for priests, higher for their families, and fire is a purifying agent. Does, does that make it any better? No. 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 Well, Dave, how can you say that? Well, I remember this story about um, Abraham. Man who loved God, who believed in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And uh, he had this encounter with God where he thought God was telling him to kill his own son. But he was wrong. And his son was spared because God intervened and said, wait for it. Don't kill your children. Because the God of the Bible doesn't kill children. Yeah, but David, look what it says. It says, burn them. Okay, that's what it says. Um, show me where they obeyed. Show me the chapter and verse in the Bible where you read about um, Bob the Builder burning his daughter because she became a prostitute. I'll, I'll wait. It's not in there. That's important. That's important. This is not a thing anyone ever did. Which means this is less about an action that you and I are supposed to take and far more about a consideration that you and I are supposed to weigh. That, that changes things just a little bit. See, when you read the strange things in the Bible, when God offends you, when you're triggered, slow down. Trust that God's got something to show you here. Well, what are... What are some other things about this that might um, help us? Well, first, um, prostitution back then was a little bit different than it is now. I say that having neither participated in either epoch, but I, I read some articles. Most, not all, but the great majority of prostitution back then was cultic prostitution, meaning it happened as part of the worship of false and foreign gods. So if you were to hypothetically go to a priestess of Asherah, then you would find a tree, an Asherah tree, often in the middle of a very fertile field, and there would be a collection of priestesses around the tree. And you would come up to the tree, and you'd have some prayer or some desire in your heart for fertility or honestly just for sex, and you'd pick which of the priestesses to whom you would give your offering and through whom you'd make supplication to Asherah, which means you'd pay them and sleep with them. You'd usually do it right around the tree, often hanging on to the tree through ropes or whatever else because the tree was the symbol of the goddess. That's how you worshipped Asherah. There was a big, um, well, sometimes they cut the branches off, and so what you had was a big pole. Now, sometimes, as the situation became more dire and you were less interested in sexual pleasures or fertility blessings, if you were worried about your 
crops, your household, your prosperity. You might, um, in addition to bringing money, you might bring a, a lamb or a bull. You tie it to the tree. You cut its throat and its blood would splash all over the tree. And if things became extreme, like Deuteronomy lists in a couple of different instances, sometimes you might do that with your firstborn son. And then you would burn the baby's remains at the base of the tree. It's funny, when we consider uh, people of other religions, I typically think of like my next door neighbor who's Muslim or you know, maybe a Hindu that you meet, you know, when you're at a book sale or something. But back then, the, the idea of polytheism was a lot different. It was barbaric, savage. It's not a difference of ideology. It's a difference in the valuation of life. And many of the Canaanite, Mesopotamian, Sidonic religions, they're, they're brutal. So when the scripture says, um, if the daughter of a priest becomes a prostitute, it doesn't mean if she really loves her boyfriend, but maybe he can take care of her, you know, give her a stipend or something. It doesn't mean maybe she slept with somebody out of wedlock. It doesn't mean maybe she actually was turning tricks on the street. When the scripture's talking about it, as many commentators and context make clear, what they're saying is, if somebody who originally is grown up in the home that worships Yahweh, where life is valued above all else, instead becomes the exact perversion of their father. And instead of authenticating life, now worships sex and death and burns the carcasses of children. If, if that person exists, then the child who worships at the tree by hurting children with fire should themselves be tied to the tree and purified with fire. Which again, we have no record that ever happened. Not in antiquity and not in scripture. Which ought to tell us like there's something more going on here. It's like the Bible is saying, man, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. It's a really heavy, weighty, massive way of saying what goes around comes around. Or like Jesus said, you reap what you sow. Now the Bible comes back to that theme a lot in a lot of other confusing passages where the punishment fits the crime, where the effects flow and follow from the cause. Like remember uh, Miriam, Moses' sister, amazing woman, capable leader, holy, prophetic woman, way ahead of her time, but, but she was racist. And she made fun of Moses for marrying a black lady. And God didn't like that. So God cursed her with leprosy, which made her skin turn extra white, flake, and fall off. It's like God was saying, you're so proud of your whiteness that I'm going to make you white enough to choke. And until she found a place of repentance before God and her brother, she was cursed because of her bigotry, because the, the punishment fits the crime, because the effects flow from the cause. Because what goes around comes around, because you play with fire, you're going to get burned, because the author of life instructs us about life, and when we deviate from those instructions, what results is death. 
How about uh, Jezebel is another good example. She worships a Canaanite deity that, that has a, the head of a dog. That's how it looks, dog-headed thing. She starts killing God's prophets and God's people because they won't worship her God. Then she falls out of a window and gets eaten by dogs. Now, you can look at all this and you can downgrade it to saying, well, the Bible tells you, you know, be, be careful. Well, no, 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 I think there's more to it than that. Like, these are weird and confusing stories with, with a great level of tragedy sewn into them. And in this story, in this reference in Leviticus, I think what the Scripture is really trying to say is, you become what you worship. Like, you want to prostitute yourself and take life? Then your life will be taken because you've sold it. You want to burn up the lives of other people? Well, then your, your life might get burned up. Because you become what you worship. Now, we don't have gods and goddesses like that anymore. Not really. We have, honestly, way better ones. Pleasure. Self-preservation. Rest. Relaxation. We, we idolize these things. We worship these things. But we got to be careful because you can become what you worship. And every God but one will use you and abuse you till there is nothing left. All gods use. Only one God loves. And when you give yourself to a lower and lesser God, you'll get exactly what you want. Only to realize it wasn't what you wanted. Pleasure is a great example. Go out partying with your friends, having so much fun, wake up a little hungover the next day, no big deal, till it happens again and again and again, until you realize, like, man, I'm sick all the time. I don't have any memories from my sophomore year in college. I'm on my 19th divorce. I'm miserable. Because you got exactly what you wanted. You became what you worshipped. Relaxation's another one. I just need downtime. I just need time to rest. Just need time with no people. You're going to end up in an old folks home where nobody comes to visit you for the last 30 years of your life. I've been there. I've been praying with your family members. I know what those places are like. You know what they say? Man, I wish I could get out of here. Because you become what you worship. Which ought to be a good reminder for you and I not only that we're careful we don't worship the wrong thing, we ought to be really careful that we're worshiping the right one. And the God that we worship is not a book. The God that we worship is not a building. The God that we worship is not a history. Our God, the living God, is one who condescends, who sets aside his privilege and power to take up his responsibility and atone not for the wrongs that he did but for the wrongs that I do. And his whole life he walks around with a bunch of people who don't get who he is or what he's worth. Who sell him down the river. Who speak about him disrespectfully. Who misunderstand him. Who don't pay any attention. Who betray him. Who abuse him. Who abandon him. And never forget, like on the night that Judas betrayed him, Jesus made him supper. 
You want to know why I can be committed to the church in spite of all I know about Christians? It's because of that. Because Jesus loved Peter, and Jesus loved Judas, and Jesus loved Simon the Zealot. He loved them all at the same time. He loved them all right there. None of them were perfect, and none of them had Jesus fooled. And it's a funny thing, you know, the, the longer I serve Jesus, the more I realize you become what you worship. And you can know all kinds of terrible true things about Christians and churches, and you can still see them for the beautiful, spectacular people that they really are. Not perfect, but... uh when Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you, I don't think he meant, so long as you're as good as me. I just think he meant, love people. Love people. Love people. Our church is at a crossroads, friends. Make no mistake, still my church. I don't mean still because I'm the pastor for another few weeks. I mean, this is my church. This is where I'm going to church later. This is my church. And we got to decide, will we be people who love? Or are we going to be people who ignore or get mad or strangely apply verses way out of context? When we see stuff that confuses us, that frustrates us, are we going to attack? Or are we going to slow down? Are we going to love? Are we going to prioritize the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the mission of Jesus? Is Jesus our guy? Or, or are we going to wonder about the glory days, whenever those were? Do you become what you worship? Do you become what you worship? It's for me, for my house. Well, we're going to worship the Lord. The one who came down to serve. Who got up to grab the rest of us by the scruff of the neck, put us on our feet and say, come on, buddy, we got this. We got this. We got this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for all that you've done to redeem and restore us, to educate us, to mature us, to temper and weather us. And Lord, we ask that for the, the courage when we come across stuff we don't understand that doesn't seem right or healthy at first, to just slow down and think about it, to weigh it, to measure it, to do our homework, to come up with love-centric, Christ-honoring solutions, responses, behaviors, and thoughts. Because that's who you called us to be. Because that's who you were. And because we love you and we worship you, we want to be like you. So help us. Help us, Lord. Not to quote the laws, but to fulfill them in the way we love one another. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.